0: Welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. I'm Lynn Wilder.
1: And I'm Michael Wilder.
0: And we have part two with Alicia Wilder, our precious daughter-in-law. Please go back and listen to part one. Um, You're going to love to hear her story in its entirety. This is Micah's wife, Micah being the young man who found Jesus on his Mormon mission. But Alicia is at BYU while Micah's on his mission in Florida. And she said she just received an email from Micah that talked about this God that gives unconditional love. Alicia, welcome back. And let's start there. Thanks. Yeah, so...
2: I'm at BYU. I've gone through a couple months of schooling and starting to recognize in myself like a, like there's a longing and a void that I'm trying to fill. And that desire I had to like please the Lord and do everything that he wanted was starting to become apparent that I couldn't or that I was missing something or that even though everything on the outside looked like it was going well, that like internally, I'm a growing adult, and I have sinful desires, and I have sins of omission, and I have, you know, just things inside me that weren't sitting right. Um, and I'm also seeing the hypocrisy of my peers and how it becomes a challenge for them to do what's right. <laughs> and yet, like they seem like it's not bothering them and they're brushing it off and it, it, it who cares but I had this like eating away feeling at me that like it mattered to God that I wasn't good enough and that it mattered to him that I couldn't be good enough and that Mm -hmm. something inside me just like felt lost and destitute and um, hit that point of struggle. And so when I received this email from Micah, it was kind of that, Light shining to a hope that I didn't know about, but I just let that sit in me for a couple weeks and tried to fill the void by, you know, maybe it was the relationship I had with Micah that was the void that I'm missing. Um, and so I was like, let me go <laughs> and find some new friends, and I ended up at a party with some friends and made some poor decisions, and um, nothing of you know church consequence on the outside but internally it messed with my heart and it it affected me to the point where like why in the world did i make these bad decisions why yeah. did i choose to kiss this guy why did i choose to do that uh like i felt lost i felt empty i felt like i couldn't satisfy um something that god wanted from me which seemed like perfection that's what the church had taught me was perfection was what god wanted from us and that if the holy spirit was going to be with you and encourage you that you had to be doing all the right things and if you did something wrong then it would leave you i'm like i've been trying to do all the right things and i have this overwhelming feeling of destitute depravity that i can't do this life by myself, I can't make things work properly. I can't please God on my own. Mm. So that night was like a huge breaking point for my soul and my spirit. And I went home and I cried and I cried and I laid out on the floor and like sprawled open and just said, God, I can't do this or whatever it is that you want me to do. Can you please take over? Can you please do it for me? Can you please be in charge of my life? Because I am not getting anywhere that I feel productive. Mm. And God left me in that state with a sense of peace, not a sense of emptiness like my previous story about pleading for the Book of Mormon to be true and I was left with nothing. He left me with a sense of peace and it wasn't an overwhelming zap of lightning. It wasn't an overwhelming shock of um, amazement or like a burning in my bosom, just like a sense of calm on my soul. Mm. Um. So I was left with that calm for three days. And I feel like God used this next experience where I was reached out to and shared a message from a stranger that Micah still loved me. And that was kind of a miraculous sign in my life, but God knew what I needed. God knew that I needed to have some showing of His love in my life to prove to me that He wanted to take hold of my life, to prove to me that He was really there, to prove to me that His love saw me in my destitute state and I still was okay. Mm. And I feel like um as I've come to faith now, looking back, it says, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I felt like that was God taking my, my life on a path that drew me to this place of brokenness and of um, surrender and giving that whatever it was in my life to him because I figured I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. But I know God doesn't leave us there. I know that he used those experiences in the way that I understood them to be confirmations and I understood them to be, representing that there was a God out there who really existed and who saw my moments of weakness and who saw who I really was and saw this emptiness inside me and yet wanted to show me his love. And to me, that was the representation of this unconditional love that Micah had previously just kind of mentioned in an email. Um, so that was really exciting. my heart to understand that. And I do want to point out that it took me to a place of willingness and openness, but I wasn't saved then because I didn't have the truth. God also teaches that in his word that we are to worship him in spirit and in truth. And I hadn't learned what real truth was at that point, but I was an open book. I was willing, I was a willing slate for him to write his purpose on my heart, write his law on my heart, write his plan on my heart and to teach me who Jesus really was and what he really meant.
0: And that openness and that faith even must be a gift from God at the right time when you're ready. One of the things I notice it's hard for folks leaving performance-based religion and coming to faith is to wrap their mind around even the idea that God could love them unconditionally, that God could actually show up for them, right? Three days afterwards at just the right time and just the right way. Our minds go, oh, that had to be a coincidence, right? It it couldn't have been just for me. Um, I just couldn't, I had such a hard time, and I, I see other LDS have such a hard time wrap their minds around this idea that God is personal and He loves you and that He actually will show up for you, right? And provide what you need when you need it.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's interesting as I was listening to your story, I, I was thinking about, you know, so many times in the LDS church, um, they, they put so much pressure, um, you know, on, on the children, on the teenagers, uh, on adults, you know, to try to live um, uh, this standard. And um, there was uh, one of the apostles always talked about this story about how we're in this pit, and Jesus puts this ladder down in this pit and, you know, we're supposed to cr- climb out ourselves. He's up there cheering for us and we climb out of this pit to, to Jesus. And what happens so many times, uh, we realize we're incapable of climbing the even though we're not doing anything wrong. Okay. You know, you're doing your life, I I know Alicia. You probably went to a BYU party. I bet they were serving Mountain Dew and Diet Coke, and you had a sip. Okay, so you felt really bad, right? So <laughs> like, it's all over. Uh, but you mean you just can't, you just can't be perfect in everything. Um, so 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 many times in the LDS Church, we are down in this pit. We're looking up to God, and Mormonism is teaching us: well, climb up that ladder. And Jesus, you know, will will be waiting for you. And you said, "I I can't climb up that ladder," but what you were saying there when you reached out to Jesus and saying, I, "I I I need your unconditional love," it's like He came down that ladder and put His arms around you and say, "You're okay. It's okay. Have peace." And that is the main thing we want all people to receive is that peace in Christ and putting aside of trying to be perfect. We can't be perfect. Yes, we shouldn't go out and sin, but we can't be perfect because Jesus will be perfect for us uh, in standing before uh, judgment before God. And so I, I just found that so sweet to see that, that you were recognized and you were being held by Christ at that point in time as you're starting this journey to come to him. Wow.
0: So Alicia's reading the word. When did you start reading the Bible?
2: Well, that's what this experience caused in me is that reassurance that God saw me, (laughs) that he was out there. And then it drove me to want to know truth or want to know why there was something else to God, why there was some unconditional love of his. Um, so yeah, I feel like that was a moment of surrender where my heart was open, but he had to teach me what his truth was. And so I was drawn into a longing for the word of God. Um, and I remember in... uh. I don't remember the actual verse, maybe Philippians, but it talks about working out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I feel like this is relevant in the fact that like I came to a point where God showed me the sin nature that I had. Um, He exemplified it and made it clear in the word when it says none are righteous, no, not one, and all have fallen sin and fall short of the glory of God. And as I read those, I was like, wow, yeah, uh, that resonates. I get it now. Um, Whereas in Mormonism, those scriptures wouldn't have been shared or kind of like glossed over if I ever did read them. But it became apparent that all of us (laughs) are fallen from God. So, for any of us to have any hope or any salvation or any existence after this life, it had to have been God's doing. And it has to be his unconditional love. And it has to be him reaching down, offering us something and a way to get to him. And so I felt that longing and that desire and I wanted to like work out what it meant for me to be saved. So I felt drawn to the word and I felt like it started to come to life in my life to to me and and it changed everything that i was driven towards um so i finished out that semester and i decided to devote my time to reading the word um reading the new testament and starting where i felt comfortable so in Mormonism, I still had in the back of my mind the article of faith that says we believe in the Bible as far as it's translated correctly. So I kind of was like, I'm not 100% sure was translated correctly, but I'm going to start reading what I believe is the words Jesus spoke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a good place, right? So I'm reading through words with parentheses, and I'm starting to see this picture of who Christ is, and I'm starting to see um, this all the many things that he did, and all the times where he says, uh, go in peace, your faith has, you know, saved you, or go in peace, your sins are forgiven, or um, faith has healed you, <laughs> and I'm just seeing like, wow, it seems really simple. <laughs> and yeah. yet, like we've been taught there's this this whole ex- exhausting religious system that has to be in place. Um but as I started in John, I had gotten through like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and had seen all those examples and kind of this testimony of Jesus relating who he is to the father and um, that he didn't come to abolish the law, but came to bring fulfillment through himself. And that there was just an excitement about like, even though he set it up (laughs) to where all the Beatitudes and all the Sermon on the Mount and all the criticisms against the Pharisees, pointed to the failures in me and pointed into the f- into the failures of men that that he brought something that could release us from that and that mm. he brought something that could give us hope <laughs> outside of that um so yeah i started reading john and all of a sudden everything became so much more clear mm. starting with john 1 understanding that um, I will read it. <laughs> in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was in the beginning, and all things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. And in Him was life, and life was the light of men. And then it says that... Um. Further down, that he came to his own people and they did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Mm. And I was just blown away. And then it continues and says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, that he is the son from the father and that Jesus became my God. And I recognized that that he wasn't just another prophet or a man or a being that we're supposed to emulate our lives after, that he was
0: my creator. Mm -hmm. And from that point on, it was like, there's something
2: amazing about this. I have to read more. The word became like, Like he says later on, the bread of life. Like I had to eat this bread. I had to drink the water. And it became like insatiable almost to the point where I decided to enroll in a New Testament course at BYU because I didn't know what else to do. I was like, I need more of this. I need whatever this religion can
0: teach me about. The New Testament because I wanted it. At this this point where you... Was there any inkling that this might take you away from the faith of your youth?
2: No, it was just an exciting revelation and a weight being lifted slowly as I learned truth that that Jesus was my God and that he, um, you know, he was alive and there was love behind him and he came to like deliver people and save them by faith and they didn't have to like oh, you'll be saved if you go do this and this and this, and then you end up over here and you got to do all these things first and then you, yeah, I'll heal your, your ailment. It's like, no, he just offered that. And um, that was just exciting to me to see all those examples, but also within that starting to resonate, I came to this and was excited to to recognize why, <laughs> because he is our Lord. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then almost like immediately after that section, it says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who the Father, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And I was like, wow. Okay, maybe there's something going on here. Because I was told that God the Father and Jesus Christ showed up to Joseph Smith and brought him this... um, restored gospel that you know got lost or fell away or mishap things didn't go as God planned how silly is that like my mind's thinking if God is this big and can provide this much satisfaction and this much love and send his own son to bring us peace like Obviously, he's got to have a plan and things aren't just going to fall away and be, oh, I got to fix it again. It's like, (laughs) uh, God should be bigger than that. God should be better than that. So, yeah, just continuing to read through John. There's just so much in John that affected my heart.
0: Um, It's it's full of this unconditional love that Micah had hinted about in that email, right? right?
2: Yeah, I mean, John 6, 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I'll raise Him up on the last day. Like, that's, if if Christ had something important to tell us, and He is my God, like, why isn't there more in this if it's the way that the religious system has taught me? So it, as I'm diving into John and I'm going through this New Testament course at BYU, my mind is starting to be illuminated to these thoughts and um, starting to see the juxtaposition of what I believed and what was in God's word. Um,
0: yeah. And that was beginning to stir up some <laughs> contrasts, some conundrums.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I got so bold at one point in the class that I became kind of maybe the class lunatic. <laughs> I was the kid in the class who was like, professor, why does this say this? And it doesn't seem to fit with what we believe. <laughs> so yeah, he wasn't, professor wasn't exactly thrilled with me. Um, at times but a lot of the questions just got brushed off like oh we don't really have the answers for that or I'm not sure it might make more sense as we keep reading or keep going through Mm -hmm. and so I just felt like there was definitely a lot of answers that I needed and I didn't feel like I really had to go anywhere else because I had been fed Right? I had been fed by the word of God. I had been shown truth and it's making sense in my life. Um, Even the word says that, you know, we should feast on the bread and drink of his water (laughs) because he will spring up living water inside us as we um, rely on him and that he becomes that well of living water through us. So,
0: that Holy Spirit living in us and not ever leaving us. Right.
2: Yeah. And then I'm reading in John again, where he, he asks the disciples, do you want to go away? Cause that's kind of a hard teaching that we're supposed to eat the flesh of Christ and drink the blood of Christ. And, and they said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So that's kind of where I put myself. Like I don't really need to go anywhere else. I need to know what God is telling me. And so I just kept reading and reading. And during this time, I'm reading and excited. And I'm emailing Micah and being like, Hey, did you read about this yet? <laughs> and Is this exciting to you? And does this really mean this? And like, mm-hmm. he was responding excited back because he had seen like the growth in my heart. and. I'm sure he was going through this sanctifying of the mind process where we had to kind of unlearn everything to the point where we finally were like, oh, okay, that's what it all means. Um, but yeah, along the way, it was exciting to kind of like find my way through the Bible and through scripture and allow it to strip away things from my faith that we're on unt- untrue and were false teachings and short of like walking you through every verse in the Bible, <laughs> a couple of things that stood out, um, a couple of things that stood out to me. One was when I got to a place where Christ says that, um, there being. he's being asked a tricky question by, um, the fellow believers or whoever trying to say hey well whose wife is this she's supposed to be if she was supposed to follow the rule and marry this husband and then he died and she was supposed to marry the next one and he died and she's supposed to marry the next brother and he died who she's supposed to be in the next life and Christ flat out says they're not married or given in marriage after this life and I'm like That's the entirety of what I feel like I've been working towards is to have an eternal marriage in this religious system. And at that point, it was kind of a big eye-opener that God allowed me to swallow with grace and understanding that like, wow, like definitely Christ knows what he's talking about. And
0: And there might not be (laughs) eternal marriage, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: So yeah, then he brought a lot of um, that reminder back and forth between Micah and I as I learned and discovered things and allowed God to transform my mind and transform my heart to understanding his truth and understanding his grace
0: which is exactly what happens when you get into the word with an open heart and an open mind that God will teach you unveil your heart, your mind, and your understanding that you might know who he is. Thank you, Alicia. I'm really excited to hear where it went after that. What happened to your relationship with Micah? Um, how that impacted your relationships with your family. Grace and peace to you until part three.
1: And part three will be very exciting. May God bless.
0: <laughs> hey.